Hello and welcome to the Half Blind Hecklers episode 51. So we have got an interesting show lined up for you today. First thing we're going to talk about <clears throat> is suicide rates in Japan and what that could possibly mean for the rest of the world. Then we're going to talk about the John Hopkins University, and they have censored a lecturer about ignoring CDC data. Then we're going to cover election news in both Arizona and Michigan. <clears throat> then we're going to talk about gender and sexuality in response to two different stories. And then finally, in Canada news, we're going to talk about an incident in which the RCMP busted a Manitoba church for holding a Sunday service where Christians had to worship on the highway in the cold. And then finally, we're going to talk about this segment during the Matt Walsh show and how I think all of these lockdowns and insanity will end. So, <clears throat> jumping right in. Suicide claimed more Japanese lives in October than all 10 months of COVID. <clears throat> from Tokyo, far more Japanese people are dying of suicide, likely exacerbated from the economic and social repercussions of the pandemic, than of the COVID-19 disease itself. While Japan has managed its coronavirus epidemic far better than other nations, keeping deaths below 2,000 nationwide, dang it, well, not using this book again, Provisional statistics from the National Police Agency show suicides surged to 2,153 in October alone, marking the fourth straight month of increase. Could it potentially go higher in November? We've yet to see. To date, more than 17,000 people have taken their own lives this year in Japan, with female suicides, about a third of the total, surging over 80%. Women who have the primary responsible for childcare have borne the brunt of the pandemic-induced job losses and insecurity. They're also at greater risk of domestic violences, which help centers, help centers say has worsened here this year as it has around the world. Child suicides are also higher. And then, of course, a soaring female suicide rate among COVID could be a warning to the rest of the world. In July, we started getting a lot of messages from people saying they wanted to kill themselves. This is for Koki Ozora. Uh, he told CBS News, Ozora is the founder of an online counseling service used by, mainly by girls and young women. Psychiatrist Chiyoko Uchida, very close to Sasuke from Naruto, but anyways, has seen many of her female clients buckling under the burdens wrought by the coronavirus pandemic. My patients' lives have been turned upside down. Apologies. As before the pandemic, suicide continues to exact the highest toll on Japanese men, who were less likely to seek help. Males accounted for two-thirds of the over 2,000 deaths recorded in October. But while male suicides are up more than 20% from last month, the rate for young women surged by more than 80%, continuing a terrifying rise that began in August. So, we've been trying to point this out for a long time here at Blind Hecklers. We, we pointed out cases back in, I think it was May, about how serious the suicide epidemic 
to rise from the coronavirus pandemic could become. And a lot of people scoffed it off. They're like, oh, well, like, they're just weak people. I actually heard that from somebody. Somebody said, oh, if you kill yourself because you lost your job, if you kill yourself because, like, you can't support your family or that you lost your job or your livelihood, then you're just a weak person. What a terrible individual. What kind of person says that? What kind of person says, yeah, well, I think I'm better than you, and so therefore your death is meaningless. That is horrifying. Now, of course, I don't approve of suicide. I think it's kind of the way out, which should not be encouraged in any way. And then it's somewhat of a weak way out. But considering all the stuff that's been happening in the world today, we <clears throat> cannot turn a blind eye to what's been happening. We cannot say, oh well, like, it's bound to happen. Suicides rates have been on the rise. I was told by somebody today, well, it's like, well, I don't think you cared about suicides before COVID, so why would you care about suicides after COVID? And I'm like, who said we didn't care about suicides before COVID? Suicides before COVID were, were a problem. They were higher than they've been in a long time. Especially they were higher in the last decade than they have been in, since, I think, the Great Depression. But we, we cannot... We cannot simply say, well, it was bad before and now it's worse, so this is kind of just a natural part of life and ignore it. No. There, <clears throat> there's an area of Saskatchewan. Or no, Saskatchewan. I don't know if I covered this on the show, but in a part of Saskatchewan, in all of Saskatchewan, they have had at least back around Thanksgiving, they've had eight times as many overdoses. Not suicides in general, but overdoses as compared to COVID deaths. Eight times. Japan has had, what is it, six times? Eight? No, I think they've had about eight times as well. Eight and a half times. Like, why are we permitting this? Why are we just saying, well, like, there's nothing we can do we just have to kind of accept it. The natural part of life. That we just accept that the we're going to call the weak, the mentally weak. Those who can't find any way out. And I think here in Canada, we're kind of been, we're given a false assurance because of CURB. The Canadian Economic Relief Benefit. In that... A lot of people have lost their jobs, and CURB has kind of kept them afloat. But the problem remains is that when CURB runs out, and when it comes around to tax time, these people will have no jobs with which to pay their CURB back. And then the problems begin. It's like, well, now I'm not only not being paid by the government, but now I owe the government in the realm of four to $5,000 that I don't have a job to pay for, and that if I don't pay, I will go to jail. I think mean, next year, when it comes time to pay taxes, 
Canada will see a spike so severe as far as suicide rates that it will be almost unheard of. And all of this is preventable. All of this was preventable. Because those of us who know, yes, we need to be concerned about this virus, but it's not the end of the world. And we need to stop treating it like it's the end of the world because that's only contributing to higher suicide rates. As Trump said a month or so ago, don't let it dominate your life. We have to stand up, rise up, and say, you do what you want, I'll do what I want, but we should not be encouraging living in fear of this virus. <coughs> because fear is the real virus. And unfortunately, it has spread like wildfire around the world. And until we contain it, we will not see an end to this suicide pandemic, which will inevitably kill far more than COVID-19. <clears throat> Next story. So, the John Hopkins University censored a lecturer and responds with critique, ignoring the CDC data. Now, <clears throat> everyone is sure that John Hopkins is hiding something, commented for their st former statistician, William M. Briggs. So, John Hopkins University censure of a critical analysis of U.S. COVID-19 death statistics by one of its own senior lecturers, which it has since deleted from his website, has huge gaping holes, leaving key points of the analysis unrefuted. So, the renowned school in Baltimore took aim at their own Genevieve brand, assistant director for MS, in their Applied Economics program, who examined death stats in the United States for 2020 and previous years and pointed to evidence that COVID-19 is not as dangerous as it's generally portrayed. An article by Yanni Gu, which we are going to go over in a second, relayed key points of her analysis was deleted by John Hopkins, for, quote-unquote, being used to support false and dangerous inaccuracies about the impact of the pandemic, as the newsletter stated on Twitter. The newsletter replaced that article, which can be found on the Internet Archive, which we're going to access, with an editor's note that attempted to refute what it described as dangerous inaccuracies. The note claimed that she trivializes the repercussions of the pandemic by presenting COVID-19 deaths as a percentage of U.S. total deaths. This evidence, quote-unquote, does not, <clears throat> or, quote, this evidence does not disprove the severity of COVID-19 and increase in excess deaths is not represented in these proportionalities because they are offered as percentages, not raw numbers. In her presentation, Brianne's key point was to spotlight remarkable statistics from the three weeks of April 2020 with the year's highest number of COVID-19 deaths, showing that the rise in COVID-19 deaths almost exactly mirrored the decrease in other leading causes of deaths. And of course, this is a table that is also covered in the newsletter article. And it goes week by week. Week ending 4-11-2020. Total decrease from all other forms of death was minus 530. And the total increase to COVID was plus 486. 
week ending <clears throat> for 18 2020. Total decrease, 2,540. Total increase to COVID, 2,561. Week ending 4 25 2020. Total decrease, minus 1,605. And added with COVID, 1,651. All of those are within 50 of their relative decreases to increases. This is baffling. This is mind-blowing. This shows... Now, of course, this is not concrete, as, oh yes, like this is for sure, that this would have been, is not showing any change, but the corresponding decrease in non-COVID deaths numbers appear to signify the deaths actually caused by non-COVID diseases were instead labeled as caused by COVID-19. The COVID-19 death toll is misleading. Of course, here on the Half-Line Hecklers, we've declared that for a long time. Deaths due to heart diseases, respiratory diseases, influenza, and pneumonia may instead be recategorized as being due to COVID-19. John Hopkins University attempted to address this point, however, saying, quote, however, COVID-19 disproportionately affects those with pre-existing conditions, so those with those underlying conditions are statistically more likely to be severely affected and die from the virus. Their comment did not address the possibility that those with pre-existing conditions may have either died from other causes that coexisted with COVID-19, or that another illness was mistaken for COVID-19, such as the flu. In fact, the CDC's own data on COVID-19 deaths is mentals. Hopkins University's claim, the CDC data strikingly refuses to single out COVID as the sole cause of death for any 2020 death tally. Instead, it bundles COVID-19 with the flu and or pneumonia, leaving the actual cause of death undetermined. William M. Briggs, a former statistician and professor at Cornell, noted, in early summer, CDC stopped separate counts of flu and pneumonia because we suppose of the difficulty in telling these deaths from doomed deaths. <clears throat> Yanni Gu, in her summary, made this critical point. CDC classifies all deaths that are related to COVID-19 simply as COVID-19 deaths. Even patients dying from other underlying diseases but are infected with COVID-19 count as COVID-19 deaths. This is likely the main explanation as to why COVID-19 deaths drastically increase while deaths by all other diseases experience a significant decrease. Of course, we've been talking about this for a long time on the show. We covered this a long time when we went over the COVID-19 comorbidities data. And of course, we concur that COVID-19 has been listed, as long as somebody has COVID-19, they are listed as dying from COVID-19. And that presents a large issue in terms of determining actual causes of death. Because if somebody, say, has heart disease and liver failure and they get COVID-19, yes, they will probably die quicker. But the problem is that while they will probably die quicker, they will, how long would they have lasted? If you have a significant heart disease and liver failure, you're, and you're 88 years old, you're not going to be lasting for another 10 years. It's exceptionally unlikely. In fact, you'd probably be lasting for a couple months. So yes, they spiked the 
the graph early in the year. But the spike just took numbers from other categories and added it to COVID. Because they weren't really being honest about their COVID death numbers. Because they were paid not to. And that's a huge problem. So this is this is the actual article from the newsletter published on November 22nd. And this is from the Wayback Machine, which allows you to access articles before they get deleted. So um, this, of course, just goes over everything. And this kind of points out U.S. deaths per week in causes and going over all of the causes of death. And this was that table that I went over earlier. So, despite this, of course, Briand, the author, constantly emphasized that although COVID-19 is a serious national and global problem, she also stressed that society should never lose focus of the bigger picture, death in general. The death of a loved one from COVID-19 or other causes is always tra tragic, she explains. Each life is equally important. We should be reminded that even during a global pandemic, we should not forget about the tragic loss of lives from other causes. And in an interview about the newsletter after the event, a master's candidate in applied economics expressed his opinion about Brand's concluding remarks. At the end of the day, it's still a deadly virus. And over-exaggeration or not, to a certain degree, is irrelevant. That's not true. When asked whether the public should be informed about this exaggeration in death numbers, this individual stated that people have a right to know the truth. However, COVID-19 should still continuously be treated as a desolate disease to safeguard the vulnerable population. Nobody has ever suggested that they shouldn't. Every single person is like, yes, we should always like strive to serve and keep the vulnerable population safe. However, if we are putting everyone else at risk to safeguard a vulnerable population which is going to be dead in a few months, then what are we really saving? We're destroying the mental health, the physical well-being, and the economic situation of the entire world for the exceptionally vulnerable. Now, we should protect them. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But we shouldn't destroy everyone else's lives in these excessive attempts to keep the vulnerable safe. We shouldn't treat everyone equally. It should be the vulnerable and the not vulnerable. And the not vulnerable should just go back to their regular lives. <coughs> Anyways, so covering election news for this week. Um, <coughs> kind of covered a bit of it on Thursday. So Arizona GOP lawmakers hold meeting on election outcome with Trump lawyer. Giuliani spent many hours with a handful of Republican Arizona lawmakers at a Phoenix hotel Monday discussing concerns about the 2020 election. As the meeting wore on, state officials officially certified the results, showing the president lost, or at least it certified their results. Uh, Giuliani and state lawmakers billed the meeting as a hearing, but it was not an official legislative event because the official legislature wouldn't allow them. It's actually really shameful that courts and legislators won't allow them to officially present the, all this information. 
They kind of just dismiss it before they even see it. It's disgusting. Outside, several hundred Trump supporters filled 2nd Street between Adams and Monroe, where they waved flags, chanted, sold hats, and other Trump merchandise, and showed their support for the president. <clears throat> Large screens were set up. Outside, the Hyatt lobby, broadcasting the hearings set taking place inside while some people watched. Others stood on a painter's letter and used a microphone and gave rallying presentations, alleging fraud in the election, human trafficking cover-up by Democrats, and denouncing the McCains. Several carried firearms, few wore masks. Who cares? Inside the ballroom, several law Republican lawmakers listened to witnesses who were not placed under oath while they're in a ballroom because you won't let them in court. As they explained, of course, this is from USA Today, which is why I'm kind of adding my own effects because they're obviously spinning it in the way that they want to spin it. They listened to theories at how elections can be infiltrated. Well, it's not so much theories, because a lot of this stuff is, like, almost guaranteed that it did happen. So it's not so much a theory, but if we're not allowed to prove it, then no one's going to trust the verification of this election. <coughs> As they explained why they thought Arizona's election results were possibly compromised. So, neither the speaker, the Republican Speaker of the House, nor President of the State Senate authorized the meeting. Why not? Republican Congressman Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs attended sitting behind Giuliani. Meanwhile, blocks away, they certified the election for Biden. And according to this article, it shows how Biden defeated Trump by 10,457 votes, but that's incorrect because he only won by 4,000. We covered that last Tuesday, but how they found that they had miscalculated the votes and gave an extra 6,000 to Biden where they should not have. So he did not win by 10,000 votes, he won by 4,000. And the fact that in Arizona and in Pennsylvania, they will not allow the Republicans to show any information regarding voter fraud. And the only state in which they will actually allow them to show evidence or affidavits about any of this is Nevada is despicable. Like Arizona today, Michigan Republicans threatens to adjourn election hearing as Trump supporters chant, do your job. A slew of GOP poll challengers. Officials and Trump allies discussed the alleged 2020 voting irregularities. It's not alleged. It happened. There were massive voting irregularities at the Senate Oversight Committee hearing. Their allegations mirrored unverified claims. Unverified again because we cannot verify them if you don't allow us to present them in court. Made by the president's campaign in its attempt to overturn President-elect Joe Biden's win. Again, he's not the president-elect. This is all just posturing. It's from Newsweek. They should know better. At one point, McBroom, chairman of the committee, pled for someone to control the crowd. If they don't, we'll be first to adjourn the meeting. Former state senator Patrick Kolbeck was seen encouraging the crowd to tone down the volume. We'll continue. We're not stopping the meeting. We're just suggesting that people suggest that the audience outside that were disrupting the meeting in here and will cease if they can't control themselves. Biden was, of course, declared the election winner in Michigan by a margin of approximately 154,000 votes. With the state's 16 electoral votes, the former vice president has, quote-unquote, secured the 306 electoral college votes in total, surpassing the 270 needed. But 
Trump, with 232 Electoral College votes, has refused to, according to this article, succeed. I think they're trying to say succeed, but, you know, they're not really one for super accurate reporting these days. Over the past month, his, claim, his campaign has claimed that widespread voter fraud caused his loss and filed nearly three dozen lawsuits in swing states in an attempt to reverse his defeat. Now, <clears throat> in Michigan, Michigan is where the biggest stuff happened. Michigan, there were voter dumps at four in the morning, where 97% of Detroit, or with mail-in ballots, 97% of Wayne County mail-in ballots went to Biden. Literal impossibility. You cannot have that. Utterly impossible. Even in New York, you would never get that. Even in communist Russia, you would never get that. There were some precincts that showed that there were 200% of total registered voters voting. Now, even having 100% is questionable. Because in areas where it's mandatory to vote like Australia, you still don't get 100%. But the fact that they got double that? Utterly ridiculous. In Wayne County, there were 170,000 votes unaccounted for that had no registered voter attached to them. Now remember, Biden won by 154,000 votes and 170,000 votes are unaccounted for. How is it that every single state in the entire U.S., the polls were wrong by about five or six points, and sometimes up to ten points, with the exception of Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin. How is it that those states are the only ones that line up with polling? That doesn't make any sense. How is it that in three of these states... You see ballot dumps at four in the morning. In Georgia, they made up a story about a pipe bursting. It's now been proven false. Why would they make that up? Why would they tell, the, oh, the pipes burst, you can't count the votes anymore. But they continue to count inside. They just told the watchers to leave. Like, at this point, I'm... Like, I don't want the some of the Trump lawyer were calling for martial law to be declared and for a re-election to be done. I don't think they should have a re-election. But I think... Oh, no, I don't think they should have martial law, but I think that they should have a re-election in these states. Because I don't think that the partisan judges in these states, especially in the Supreme Courts in Michigan and Pennsylvania, they're not... They're, they're like, okay, well, we don't want to disenfranchise 650,000 voters. We went over on Thursday how of the a certain group of 600,000 mail-in ballots, 599,000 or so were for Biden and 3,200 were for Trump. Like a 99.4% for Trump, for Biden. Like... Hello, Saddam Hussein. Learn from these guys. Oh, wait, Saddam Hussein is dead. So we can't use Saddam Hussein. But still. Like, that's the kind of election results you would see in those areas. In 
socialist Venezuela. There are just so many inaccuracies. And of course, the FBI is rumored to be looking at the Voter Integrity Project's Matt Brainerd's results and his work, where he called tens of thousands of voters to ask them if they received mail-in ballots, if they sent in mail-in ballots. And he's like, based on my results and the people that we've called and the audio files which we have, in the, even though we were only allowed to do like a small segment of the population, but even if they were only doing that, voter irregularities and voter fraud is huge. And one of the biggest problems I'm noticing now is that some of these established Republicans are like, well, we can't overturn it because it will cause massive unrest in the United States. If you don't try and overturn it, if this doesn't get overturned, if Biden wins the presidency, Democrats win the House, and then they pull this kind of same stunts on January 5th with the runoff elections in Georgia and win those two Senate seats, they will control everything. You know what they're going to do with that? They're going to add Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. as states. They're going to pack the court, and they're going to spread their socialist, globalist nonsense throughout the United States and get rid of free speech and the Second Amendment. And what's going to happen then? The United States won't be the United States anymore. And Republicans will never win again. Because they won't be able to. Because with two added additional states, they can never overcome that deficit. They will never be able to. Because Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico will go for Democrats. And the Republicans will never have a chance to win again. So just this idea that, well, if we lose, we lose, and we'll get it back in a few years. No, you won't. And of course, if you do not overturn, like if you look at this stuff and nobody investigates it and set, it stays as is and Biden becomes president, which is becoming more and more looking like it's going to be an inevitability, if it stays that way, Half the United States will not trust in elections anymore. And they're like, well, we can't vote to get our, our way. We can't uh, vote to get our president in. We can't vote to get our senators or our House representatives in. So what are we going to do? We're going to fight for them. If this remains unchecked, we're looking at a civil war. No word of a lie. We're looking at a civil war. If this election stays as is. Because half the country won't trust elections anymore. The Democrats don't seem to care because they only want their way and they don't want to investigate any of this stuff. But that's what's going to happen. I don't want it to happen in the United States. The United States is one of the best, is probably the best country in the world. Far better than Canada. Canada already has a lot of these socialist policies and we're failing because of it. The United States is on the verge of a civil war because this election has disenfranchised 80, like 75 million people. And not only disenfranchised them, it's telling them that one of the major institutions in the country can be cheated. Because you can't say with a straight face that this election was safe and secure. 
There are quest like there are about a million questionable valets, all in these swing states. Like, if you ask me, do I think that Trump won if you can't all the legal valets? Yeah, I do. Because there's just so many issues. But the stakes have never been higher. And I'm getting so annoyed at these establishment Republicans were like, oh yeah, like, everything is great because, like, the Republicans took a few seats from the Democrats in the House. And they, they might hold on to the Senate. And it's like, what would you... What gives you the impression that if they have the chance to steal the Senate, they won't do it? The day of the Senate runoff, there will be election day for Republicans, and then next day it'll be, okay, they get 200,000 ballots each for the Democrats. The Democrats win the, the runoffs, and then, oh, look, you have Democrats control everything and America's screwed. Stop with the establishment Republican nonsense. And say, yeah, there is enough stuff here that potentially swing the election. And we can't certify this crap. Any Republican lawmaker that certifies this crap is just signifying, well, I don't really care about my rep who I'm trying to represent. I just, I don't want to make a mess. I don't want to uh, cause a stir. How cowardly are you that you don't want to cause a stir? Cause a stir. Like, fight for your constituents. Fight for your voters. Don't just keel over and give up. Trump should not, should not secede. He should not concede until all of it is over. Until everything is said and done. And if they don't investigate any of this stuff, then there will be serious problems. So... For those who can, pray. Pray that this changes because this is going to be a big deal. Anyways, moving on to the next kind of clump of stories about weirdness. So, this first article is from Healthline. It says, do vulva owners like sex? Not Volvo, but vulva is the wrong question. Here's what you should ask instead. Some do like sex and some don't, just like penis owners like sex and some don't. Like, why are these people referring to women and men as vulva and penis owners? They're just women and men. I know that according to, like, the, the new gender fluid, gender is binary, like, gender not being binary nonsense, that... Women and men can be whatever you want it to be. But it's not. Our biology determines our gender, determines our sex. That is the scientific standpoint. It always will be the scientific standpoint. And calling them these, like, purely physical derogatory terms instead of giving them the full attributes of men and women, is fairly degrading and derogatory. Now, like, this should not be something that we have to explain. We should not have to go into why addressing someone by only their sexual criteria 
by only their sexual characteristics is dehumanizing. It demeans them as a person. They're not a full human being. They're not, oh, it's, it's so-and-so. And they have this characteristic and this characteristic and this characteristic and they're this type of person. And this is their character. Instead of that, it's, okay, what's between your legs? Okay, that describes everything about you as a person. No. That does not describe everything about you as a person. It's so much more. And the funny thing is, of course, they use this as some way to describe those with X chromosomes and not XY chromosomes as vulva owners. And they kind of act as though men and women are meaningless terms. And then, of course, they go crazy about this whole Vanderbilt female soccer player who becomes the first woman to play in Power 5 college football. <clears throat> They're saying, oh, she made history on Saturday where she was the first woman, not the first vulva owner, to participate in a Power 5 conference football game when she kicked off her Vanderbilt. She was like, oh, it's amazing. I'm out here for all the young girls and so thankful that I stuck with it. Like, it'd be impressive if she did something impressive. I've watched that kick. I am not an athlete, but I could kick three times as far as that. Okay, maybe not three times, but at least twice. I was actually a pretty good kicker in high school. I could punt it through the uprights at like 40 yards. I had a really strong kick. And I'm a little chunky. But they're giving this as, like, she was claimed the, I think, the co-winner of the special teams of the player of the week for college football. Are you kidding? This is not history made. Like, she was not doing a design squib kick. It was the best she could do. And this wasn't a, okay, well, like, we need her and she's going to kick in and she's going to win us the game. They lost 41 to nothing. Their team was pathetic. They threw, they put her in because it's like, well, it can't hurt. She only got one kick in. Like, who cares? It's kind of like a little bit like Rudy, if you've ever seen that movie, but at least Rudy did something for the team. He was kind of like the the reason that they fought because he he put in so much effort and he had such heart. This girl just shows up and says, I'm a woman. I deserve to be here, even though I have basically no talent. I'm not saying that women are not as not good as men. But when it comes to sport, it's not even close. Men are stronger, men are faster. And if you put them side by side in almost any sport around the world, men win. A few years ago, the the FIFA World Cup winning women American women's team. They're a decent soccer team, but they got beaten by a U15 men's team. 
And not even from, like, a decent country. It was just from the States. The United States men's soccer team is not that good. They're actually pretty bad. Compared to all the other teams in the world. But that's the difference. That's the, the ability gap. Between men and women. Because men and women are designed to do different things. Men are designed to be strong. And defensive. And protective. And women are designed to be nurturing and encouraging and reassuring. That's why we work so well together. That's why my wife and I work as a team with our strengths and not trying to overpower each other with our weaknesses. <clears throat> We're meant to complement each other, not compete with each other. Not to say that competition is wrong. But compete at the proper level. That's all I'm saying. This is not a huge accomplishment. And we will never, ever see women going into the NFL for anything other than a, a publicity stunt. If they actually were like part of the line mech, like, if they joined the line of linebackers, they'd get crushed. They'd be seriously injured. You don't take a 180-pound woman and have them up against a 340-pound guy. Crunch. They're not meant to do that. We have different skills and abilities. And we use them to complement each other. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Alright, so Canada News now. So the RCMP bust a Manitoba church for holding a Sunday service. Christians are left to worship on the highway. So churchgoers in the town of Steinbeck, Manitoba have defied the province's pandemic-related lockdown orders by intending to attend the drive-in church service Saturday morning, or Sunday morning, leading to RCMP officers blockading the house of worship. There's, of course, a picture. The church announced their commitment to holding its service over Facebook on Saturday night. We'll be holding a drive-in worship service tomorrow morning, God willing. Yesterday evening, the Manitoba government deemed drive-in services to be illegal. This worship service will be held in protest of these tyrannical edicts. Good for this church! Like, dang... They have way bigger balls than my church. My church has been cowardly and a bunch of pansies by comparison. Under new lockdown restrictions in Manitoba, no more than five people can gather in one location, including if they remain in their cars. That's ridiculous. The church was previously fined $5,000 for hosting services a week earlier with the minister, Tobias Tissen, being handed two additional fines totaling more than $2,500 for attending the service and a separate anti-lockdown rally. <clears throat> Due to the RCMP blockade of the church, churchgoers were forced to hold their services on the adjacent highway, with the church blasting the service via loudspeaker. This is, of course, what the highway looked like because they wouldn't let them park in the parking lot. And I'm like, good for them. If the RCMP is going to be a bunch of twits, then show the RCMP what happens. 
But churchgoers confronted police, accusing them of demonstrating fascism. Because it is. It is fascism. One woman spoke to police by saying, Go close down the liquor stores, the sex shops, the stores that sell drugs. Come on, why aren't they being closed? Why can't we go to church on private property? We need churches now more than ever, a man in the crowd shouted. Several tickets are being, of course, this is a Twitter post. Several tickets are being handed out. A police vehicle is blocking up the energy to the church. A vehicle that refuses to move appears to have nearly been towed, but the tow truck has since moved. This is a video of the churchgoers confronting the police. It's very interesting. Stand for this fascism that you are demonstrating today. That's right. This is not right. And they're right. Like, this is a violation of that church's rights. And Manitoba is one, easily one of the worst in the country as far as lockdowns. Despite verbal confrontations with police, churchgoers remain peaceful. Good for them. I'd have a difficult time. Even as the police began towing vans which were blocking the highway with people inside. I would have stood in front of the tow truck. Personally, if they started towing people's vans which were blocking the highway, I would have stood in front of the tow truck and be like, no, if they won't let us in the parking lot, we're not going to let you leave the highway. So you choose. You choose to let us go into the parking lot and do our go and do church properly and stop removing and staking away our rights. Or we're not going to let you unblock the highway. And we're going to, there's going to be a whole issue. That you're causing, not us. Like, the government lockdowns are crazy. The churchgoers shouted, let us pray at police. Like, <clears throat> these are the measures that we're facing now. This is what we're facing. Like, in Canada, lockdowns are getting worse than they ever have before. And things are getting bad. Like, I know that a lot of people are like, well, it's it's just three weeks. It's just two weeks. Like, it's just until cases go down. What government gives up power that they have if they don't have to? If they can just be like, well, like, as long as things, like, continue staying at a level, at a normal level, then we'll continue seizing more and more and more power. What ridiculous notions... What disgusting notions. Canada's a little hellhole. And so many people are just cowards and are unwilling to stand up and do something about it. This is this is sort of in connection with this. This is an episode of the Matt Walsh Show, one of my favorite or my favorite blogger and video podcaster for the Daily Wire. This is a great great line, group of lines that he has said. I'll let you listen to it right now. 
See, one of the aspects of this whole farce of the lockdowns and, and everything that else is going on is the submissiveness of people, the people who should be standing up for themselves. Churches not willing to fight back against insane infringements on their First Amendment freedoms. Business owners not willing to defy the orders from psychopaths like Sheila. Um, people obediently wearing masks, even just to walk outside down the street because that's what they've been told to do by people who don't wear the masks themselves. The only way out of this, the only way to stop it, the only end game is for people to refuse to comply with the dictates and commands of petty tyrants like Sheila. Just refuse. Scoff at her, wave her off, continue doing what you want to do. That's the only way. As long as we cooperate, as long as we submit, it's not going to end. It will never end. All right, back to the article. It says during so this is a little bit of a a background for what he's saying. So there was a a Los Angeles City Councilor who had made a decree that all outdoor dining in the city of Los Angeles was can't was not allowed. And then she, of course, went out to one of her favorite restaurants and ate outside. <clears throat> and she's like, "Well, this is the last day, and I support their business, and I feels like really, really sad for." The fact that they're losing their business. And it's like, you don't feel sad. You're making them lose their business. And they shouldn't have even let you in. It's like, you're going to be causing our business to go on or get out. Like, get out. We don't want you here. And that that's the thing. Is that this will not end until people say no. This type of behavior will not end until we stand unified. Like I went over in our segment about when we went to the rally on the weekend. As Eggman Burke once said, when evil men assemble, when evil men combine, the good must assemble or else they will fall. One by one, a pitiable sacrifice in a contemptible world. I still don't think I have that 100% perfect, but <clears throat> the truth is there. I'm not, I'm not saying rise up in anarchy and like fight them back with pitchforks and shoot them and cause them serious bodily and physical harm. No. What I'm saying is that we should be unified against them. Unified or our freedoms <clears throat> unified in standing up for what we believe in for what we believe to be right and the human and god-given rights that we've been granted none of this well like it's it's just three weeks it's just two weeks it'll be over soon that's what they said 250 days ago it's not going to be over soon today marked one week since the province of Alberta declared its emergency situation. And people are like, okay, it's just two more weeks of this. It's just two more weeks. No, it's not. In three weeks, they're going to be like, well, cases haven't fallen down, so I guess I'm going to make it worse. Guess there's nothing left for me to do but make it worse. Guess that's my only choice now. It's all I got. No, it's not your only choice. I, I understand why people don't want to support 
to support this. I understand that they've been told over and over and over again that this is something that they need to fear, that they, this is something that will affect everyone, and that everyone is at risk of death, and if you're standing up and marching against masks and social distancing, then you're evil and you want Grandma to die. Not in any way. We don't want Grandma to die. We just don't want to be alone. We don't want our rights to be trampled on. We want to be able to return to the way things were. We want to be able to see our friends and family and not have them quiver in fear when they see us. We want to be able to return to our jobs, our livelihoods, and not be afraid about where our next paycheck is coming from and how we're going to feed our families. We don't want that. We want to be able to live free. I've pointed out this many times before, like this flag says liberty or death. Yeah, I'm afraid of dying, but I'm afraid of being enslaved more. I'm afraid that my children will not be free, and that is why I fight for them to be free. I fight so that they don't have to. Please, understand where we're coming from. Understand that we're not doing this out of selfishness. Out of a desire to get a haircut, even though I clearly desperately need one. But we're not doing it because of that. We're doing it for everyone who can't. We're doing it for everyone who won't. Because you might not realize that your freedoms are being taken away and you're encouraging it. But we do. And by the time that they come for you, we'll be long gone. If they come and haul you away for subversion to the government, they'll have taken us away years ago. So stand up while you still can. Stand up for your rights. Stand up for your liberties. And stand up for the truth. Alright, that's basically going to be the end of today's show. I... Hope you liked watching it. Like you liked listening. Hope you liked listening to it. You know there was a brief issue at the start because my I thought I pressed my unmute button, but I did not. So I'll splice that together, and hopefully it will be too much of an issue. <clears throat> but if you are watching this or listening to this, please share this video. That's uh, basically the number one way in which we'll get more traction, we'll get more views, and we'll get more support. And if you feel like you have the need to support us financially, if you have the ability to support us financially, I, yeah, we'll take that too. We have a Go Get Funding page that's linked on our YouTube account. So if you want to support us that way, make sure we have better equipment, better technology, and can get this message out to you more, then do so. <clears throat> if you are on YouTube, please like this video, comment, Subscribe and hit the notification bell. If you are on Facebook, give us a review, give us a like, give us a follow. And tell us how we're doing and how we can do better. <laughs> if you're on Twitter, yeah, we're basically just there for the walls. <laughs> it's true, we are. If you are on Parlor, 
We have a zillion different ways of communicating with all of you. And tomorrow I will try once again to start up the caption this contest. So hopefully I'll be doing that around 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. And finally, if you were listening to us on any of our podcast sites, uh, please share this video with others and download it. And make sure that others hear this message so that it can be spread around so that freedom will not be hidden under the shade or whatever. I don't know. <clears throat> but, as always, here at the Half Blind Hacklers, we may be blind, but we can still see the truth. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Have a great night.